I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of On the Line. Today, I am joined by the one and only... And I really, truly mean that. I mean, I've never heard somebody so peppy this early in the morning. It's Marcia Kilgore, everyone. Estee! <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? <laughs> when you said the one and only, I felt a bit like Elvis for a moment. <laughs> Just for a moment. So I've heard you um, being described as a live wire. Do you identify as that? Not at all. I don't think, you know, I'm quite practical. And yeah. I don't know, I'd, I'd say live wires are, you know, maybe impractical, but I'm quite a practical, maybe optimistic person. A passionate person? Yeah, I'm a passionate person. Right. Yeah, I, I'm opinionated. Opinionated. Yes. But okay. not, I try not to be, you know, opinionated in a negative way because that doesn't get you anywhere. Okay. Do you, are you like a firm believer in kind of like putting out into the universe what you get back in the universe? A hundred percent. I actually had a little Instagram chat with somebody yesterday about karma being like, it, it's sort of a self regulating mechanism, right? Because what you put out there is what you yourself believe you should get back. So yes. okay. that, that is then how you live and what you allow to happen to you. Right. I know that's kind of deep, maybe for 9am. No, it's not. It's not. Um. <laughs> it, it's kind of like teach others how you like to be treated kind of thing. Is yeah, it like that? No, not even. I think that you allow good things to happen to you if you truly believe that you've put good things out there okay. and that we actually limit ourselves in terms of what we will achieve on a deeper level, do, you know, based on what we think that we've given. So somehow in the subconscious, you don't take more than you truly believe you've given. I see. And it's like a self-regulating mechanism. So if you want to have a better life, you have to give more and then you get more because you allow yourself to. Right. But is it is the giving, is it coming from a natural, true place? You can't just make a list and be like, okay, so today I'm going to give more. Today I'm going to try to do three nice things. You can start that way if you're not naturally good at it, right? Okay. It's like everything is a discipline and a habit. So, you know, and we'll all slip and we'll all be kind of negative once in a while. But yeah. if you actually make a list for yourself and say, I am going to do these five things today. You know, if it's even something so easy as smiling at somebody, you yeah. realize when you smile at somebody, some stranger, they smile back immediately. That happened to me today. Right. And it makes them, makes you feel better. It makes them feel better. You feel like you lifted their mood. They yes. feel good. And then you feel better about yourself. So it's what you put out there and it can be a tiny little thing but then you get used to it and then you think you know what I'm the person who smiles at random people Mm -hmm. and makes them feel good and that's just one thing but then if you don't do it then you don't feel like yourself so it's all about putting these little disciplines in place to try and be more 
you know, positive and up. And, and it, everybody can do it. Yeah, we're all trying to be more positive and up. I mean, I'm trying desperately. I think you do quite well. You think so? Yeah, come on. Oh my God, I was in such a mood yesterday. You can have moods, oh. you know, but then you snap out of it. <laughs> yeah, I try to snap out of it. I mean, I'm booked and busy. I've got to get get the show on the road, you know. Well, you know what? A mood, it doesn't it doesn't help you. Yeah. Right? A bad mood. It's not getting you anywhere. So I you know. just think, what? how is this serving me? And, and and then you can recognize it. You yeah. can have your moments, but then like, get moving. I was just on a yoga retreat, and one thing that I took away from it was that sometimes when you're in a negative space, you tend to attract more negativity, right? So you eat the bad foods, you you know listen to the really sad music, and you just try to feed that negativity somehow. And it's such a hard cycle to break. There's actually some studies about negative, not negative music, but sad music yeah. and how they actually help you process sad feelings. Right. So there's it's no, nothing really bad about sad music because apparently it's it. sort of empathic yes. somehow, you know, in your in your subconscious. But but certainly if you kind of, it's like eating a cookie for breakfast, you, you know, there goes the whole day. I mean, I did have <laughs> two bites of an eclair for breakfast this morning as I was running out the door. Were you standing up? Yes. Then it doesn't count. It's no calories. <laughs> what, the standing eating while moving is actually negative calories. I love this. Yeah. I so. love this so much. Okay. So, I mean, I could do an overwhelming introduction of you, but I would love to hear how you actually describe yourself. What When people are like, what do you do? I do hate that question. You know what? I'm called, I mean, everyone calls me the serial entrepreneur. Right. But I hate that. I don't know why. And you know when you have to fill out the form for customs exactly. and immigration and they ask, what do you do? And I think, oh, God, the serial entrepreneur. I mean, I can put entrepreneur, but actually a lot of the customs officers don't know what that is. Right. So then you just sometimes I'll put creative director. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> or manager. But, you know, we're all managing at different levels. This is true. Yeah. But I guess I am a serial idea generator. Idea generator. I try to improve things. Um, I try to shape new concepts and bring them to people in a really beautifully executed way. Okay. I try and be an elevator. Ooh, that's... Not the kind that you ride up and down a uh, <laughs> building in, but I guess one that takes something and tries to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. That okay. would, that, I, I like the idea of being an elevator. Yeah. I think yeah. that's amazing. That'll really confuse the guys at customs and women. <laughs> I'm an elevator. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, even when you walked into the recording studio, you were like, why can't I get your T-bar necklace? Yeah. <laughs> I have to mention that because I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That T-bar necklace. Thank you. We're obsessed. I'm obsessed. It's really. And you know what? I'm not. A natural jewelry person. Okay. So as you see, I've got like this tiny thing. Yeah. I've got my wedding ring. But that, there are just some pieces that are so easy to wear. Oh, yay. And it's not too feminine. But yes. not too you know, gangster. Oh, <laughs> that's so nice. It's funny you say gangster because in our my first meeting with Daisy, I was like, I really want it to look like, you know, something that your uncle with a hairy chest could wear, like a big gold necklace. And yeah, they were like, no. Like, feminine gangster. <laughs> feminine gangster. The oxymoron. That's really cool. Anyway, back to you. Right. So, I, I mean, obviously, I want to talk all about your career and everything, but I'm so curious to know what your very first job was and when you fell in love with working because... It seems like you really like to work. I do like to work. You know what? I think it's social. Okay. Yeah, and I find it just really interesting. It's sort of a lot of people trying to accomplish something. And and I think, you know, many mil millions of years ago when we were all 
uh, in social groups, right? We were usually it would be a bunch of women together for most of the time because we were gathering, right, or taking care of the children, and the men would be out hunting and killing the animals. And I think there's something about having a collective purpose when you bring people together and having a reason to kind of do something that really makes you happy. And so it's really kind of evolution. We haven't changed that much. I mean, how long we've been in this form has has been relatively short compared to all of evolution. And so it's natural, I think, for us to want to be together in groups trying to achieve a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it just seems really natural to work. I don't know what to do with myself if I don't have problems to solve, things to try and figure out, people to be around. And it, it just like feels good. It's stimulating for the mind. And then trying to continually push that and do something more and more challenging for me just feels natural. I think a lot of people have a lot of, you know, we've evolved to the point where life is actually a bit easy. And people won't say that, but certainly in the Western world, right, for a lot of us, it's too easy. And that's probably why we're unhappy. Because that's not how we're wired. We're wired to struggle. Oh my God! What was this? The, is what deep. was the question? I have to I have to write the question down as you ask me, well, or else I go off on one all the time. <laughs> well, I like what, no, I like what you said about th- that we're wired to struggle. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny though because since we don't have to struggle for a lot of things that we may be used to, no. we're struggling so much internally with other things with now. mental things instead of physical things, and that's a problem too, right? You yeah. have to have that balance. Yeah. So if everything is done for you, you know, we all then go to the gym. I right? know. Or, and if you think about it, you could clean your house if you no, had that time. No, I don't want to do that. No, but it is like physical work, and I think a lot of happiness comes from actually being physically active also. Yeah. So we we have to replace these things that we don't do anymore because they're beneath us with other things that sort of do the same thing. And you just realize it's become everyone's looking for comfort. Yeah. But comfort isn't happiness. Ooh. Right? Oh my gosh. So 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 fitness. Let's just talk about that really quickly because sometimes when I'm in the gym on the well, I call it the dreadmill <laughs> when I'm like, "Ooh, I love that." Yeah, when I'm like on it walking like, "Uh." I'm like looking around, I'm like, "This is so weird." It is a little weird. <laughs> Have you seen that that there was a movie called Wally? Did you ever see oh, it? Oh yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it with my kids like, you know, many years ago, but it's all people sort of floating around to do their grocery shopping and they're all really um, overweight and not walking anywhere and they've got these little machines that float them around. And you do sort of walk by gyms and think, now I get it, right, in a city, especially if there's pollution and it's not necessarily so beautiful to go and run unless you're near a nice big park or or go for a walk. But the fact that we all go into these boxes and sweat yeah. is a bit manufactured. Yeah, it's a bit sure. weird. But are you big into fitness? I used to be, right? I used to be a personal trainer. So right. I was a bodybuilder when I was a kid in Canada. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, there was nothing else to do. And well, I was maybe... I'm Canadian too, so I know. Yeah. There is yeah. really not much else Where to do. Where did you grow up? Waterloo, Ontario. Oh, God. That's about as good as Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. No, Saskatoon is better. Do you think? <laughs> I mean, better or worse? <laughs> equally, equally un- spacious. Yes, spacious. Right. So you, you don't have that many activities. So you figure out something to do, like a hobby. And so it's either figure skating, like you know, you would go yep. to the skating rink in the winter, but that was only a certain amount of time that you could skate. So then you need something else to do during the other times, besides drinking beer. That's a big one. Yep. So I ended up in this gym because my sister's boyfriend's 
brother owned a bodybuilding gym. Okay. And he said, oh, you should come down to the gym. So I went down to the gym, and this woman who was Miss Canada, like lightweight bodybuilder, um, put me through my paces and trained me. I Actually, it was a basement gym. <laughs> At the end of that, I could not walk up the stairs to get out oh of the gym. Gosh. I actually had to kind of crawl wow. up the stairs to get the bus home. And I how old were that. you when all of this was going on? Fifteen. Wow. Yeah. So okay. then I, I sort of took up bodybuilding, right? And I go to the gym every day for an hour and a half. And then I ended up competing wow. and winning a couple of titles. And then when I moved to New York, that's how I was a personal trainer because people would follow me around and, you know, say, hey, can you be my personal trainer? Wow. I want to look like you. Okay. So going back to your very first job. Yeah. What, what, what was it? I think probably very first that sort of was a real job. I mean, I was a babysitter, right? Yeah. Everybody was a babysitter. I was a gymnastics coach. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did that for a while. I was a lifeguard. Yeah. Um, I was a waitress. Yep. And then when I moved to New York, I was a personal trainer. Right. And then I did facials. And then I opened a facial business. And then I was, I guess, the manager and the facialist and the everything else. The everything. Yeah. How did you get so into doing facials and things like that? Oh, so from running around New York doing personal training, it was usually, you know, really hot and sweaty. And New York is quite humid. And I'd always had quite oily skin and hadn't really managed to figure out how to solve it. So... One summer, instead of going to the Hamptons with my clients, I ended up going to Christine Valmy School of Aesthetics to learn how to fix my own face. And so I was really went for this crash course in how to do facials on myself because my skin was such a problem. And I had bought every product out there and nothing worked. So I thought, well, let me go and try and go a little bit deeper and find out what the, what the problem is rather than trying to stuff something on the top. Let's figure out where this comes from. So I learned how to do facials, and then I started. I had some personal training clients who also had bad skin, so then I started to give them facials. I'd give them a you know a personal training session, then lie them down on the floor and give them a facial. Incredible. Yeah. So it just I don't know why they let me. I do because that's <laughs> the best thing ever. Yeah, I suppose. But would you trust someone who just took a class on how to do facials yeah. with a? I mean, the trust. I have to be very grateful for that, right? Like people let me do stuff, and I really yeah. still can't and this was not only just like 20 year old girls it would be you know a 45 year old socialite on park avenue right. and you name it everybody just let me but i guess i guess skincare must have been a different world then you know it was what, it was quite basic yeah right so it was still sort of the um it was it dominated by the eastern europeans mm -hmm. and um it was kind of one of those very simple steam the face right whack the face with branches you know <laughs> <laughs> well so can we just back up how did you get from saskatchewan to new york so i sometimes i really think about when i was a teenager in waterloo ontario thinking ah <sighs> What can I do with my life? Yeah. You know, and I, I dreamed of doing the things that I'm doing now. And I'm kind of like, I don't really understand even how I'm getting to do this stuff. But so how did you get from Saskatchewan to New York? So my sister was my eldest sister, who's five years older than I am. She was a model. Mm -hmm. And when she she actually moved to New York when she was probably, uh, I'm going to say, 18. Mm -hmm. So I was in high school and I went one summer to visit her. And we really went for a week. But I loved it. Yeah. It was, you go, and I didn't have any money. I mean, you're sort of this broke kid, but just walking around. Seems it, like anything is possible. Yeah, and it was like a wonderland of just newness, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Korean delis and the pizza places and the drag queens and the, you, I mean, amazing. What was just, 
the people and yeah. the diversity walking around. And I just found it to be almost like a show. Yeah. And I'm sure for, for you, it was a similar thing to me, which was we never saw that. We didn't grow up with, with no, that. No, yeah. no. And it was just amazing to see that there were so many different people out there doing different things and all coexisting really happily yeah. in this kind of network. And it was like a little hub. And the energy was so incredible. So I remember begging my mother to just leave me there for the summer because we were all supposed to go back. And I just couldn't imagine going back. But I was maybe 14 at the time, and I had to go back. Yeah. Maybe I was 15. I can't remember. So she acquiesced and let me stay with my sister. But my sister was traveling all the time, um, you know, for her job. And so she just left me in her apartment in New York. 14 years old? <laughs> maybe 15. What I a time to exactly. be alive. It was awesome. I remember. And then and so I would go to the gym and I would just like wander the streets of New York. And it was just incredible. And I knew, OK, when I graduate from high school, I've got to come back here somehow. Yeah. So my plan was to go to Columbia. Mm-hmm. So I took the SATs, which you don't when you're Canadian, right, normally. No. And I got accepted to Columbia. But then I it's a long story, but my tuition plan fell through. So I came back and I had my, you know, my backpack full of clothes and my 300 bucks. And I got back to New York to go to Columbia, but I couldn't go. And it was too late to get a student loan because I was Canadian, right? So right. they didn't have any And it's like left. quadruple the price as well as a Canadian to go to an American school, isn't you know, it? At that point, I didn't even yeah. look. Yeah. So it was sort of too late to consider it. Right. So I then was in New York. I was not going back didn't want to. Yeah. So I just had to make it work. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Works out. It it, works you know, things out. do work out. But you seem to be somebody who once they get their, you know, heart set on something, you just seem to make it happen. You know what? I, yeah, I don't accept no very well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think like I'm not afraid of working. Yeah. So somebody yesterday asked me, well, how do you balance your lifestyle? or, you know, your need for a certain kind of lifestyle with where you want to be in a career. Right. And it's like, well, pick one, right? Do you think so? You can't necessarily, when you're a startup, you can't choose that you're going to have X amount of money and build a business. Your money either has to go into your lifestyle or your business, right? You can't have both. Right. So there will be sacrifices, and there are always sacrifices. It's not like the people that you see have probably sacrificed along the way to get to where they are. They weren't living large the whole time. Right. So it's one of those, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yo, all these old you know, adages, they're true. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking about starting a business, we have a question from a caller. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Estee. My name's Taylor. I'm calling from Canada, Calgary specifically, but actually I'm waiting at the airport because I'm boarding a jet to the Philippines. Anyway, my question is, how do you get the balls and the courage or the ovaries to start a company and to own your craft? Wow, that's really a big question and sort of takes 30 years to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, to own a company and to, what was it? Have the ovaries or the balls. And to, what did she say about your craft? And to own your craft. To own your craft. Okay, well, I'd say it might be in the wrong order. So number one, own your craft. Yes. (laughs) Then start a company, right? Yes. Know what you're doing. Get good at it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the, I mean, it's very natural and organic to start a company if you're really good at what you do, and then you want to get other people around you to be also good at what they do, and then you can organically get bigger and bigger, right? It seems very simple, but when you spell it out like that, it's like, yep, that makes sense. It does make sense. (laughs) So when I started, so before I started Bliss, right, I gave facials. Yeah, right. to and then clients. I get to my clients on the floor of my apartment, and then on the floor of my apartment. You know, they it ended up being one of those things where it was like a bit like a social club, right? They, so I, they'd come over at seven o'clock for their personal training session, and then I would give them a facial from eight o'clock to nine o'clock, and actually then I could or nine thirty or whatever, and then I could never get them to leave my apartment. So what I realized, and it wasn't glamorous in there or anything. It was the East Village. It was like a one room studio. It was. They were laying on a wool carpet on the floor. But I had I, I had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning because my next personal training client was at 6.30. So I was always having a hard time getting them out. So I had to get a room somewhere where it was obvious that I was going to leave that room. So they had to, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that I didn't like chatting, but people would have stayed. I mean, you like chatting. I do. With the best of them. I do like so chatting. So if you're like, get out. I needed sleep. I had to deliver the next morning some great, inspiring personal training session to somebody. So, yeah, I had to, you know. So it was, I went to get this other room so that I could bring people in for facials and then get them out. Right. So that I could see three or four or five people a day or whatever. So I I rented a small room. And I, you know, then built up my clientele in that room until I couldn't take any more people between 9 o'clock in the morning and 9 o'clock at night. It was full. And at this time, were you thinking, I'm going to start an amazing skincare brand? Like, No, but I did know that if I was sort of the only person doing it, that, you know, trying to take the laundry in and do all the booking and do all the facials and everything was probably not sustainable for a long period of time. So when I got so booked that people just couldn't get in for years, right, which happens because people will come in and they'll say, well, I want to come every two weeks or I want to come once a month, and then they book their appointment. It's not that many people you need before you're fully booked for the rest of time. Yeah. And I thought, well, I've got to train other people how to do this. So if I get a slightly, slightly larger space. And, you know, I went from basically having a one-room little studio to having, and I think that was maybe 700 or 800 a month, to a place that was, I think, 1,500 a month, 
right, where I had three rooms. And then I rented a place that was maybe 6000 a month. So, and, and I had 10 rooms. So you sort of slowly build up. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I gave the best facial in New York. Right. And I trained other people how to give the best facial in New York. And then I trained more people how, how to give the best facial in New York. And then I tried a bunch of massage therapists and hired the people who gave the best massage in New York. And so I had all these people who had honed their craft and owned their craft. And they were then I was providing a platform for them to, you know, deliver that craft. And that is I think it's, you know, quite insightful what she asks. She asks it in the wrong order. But you have to be so excellent at what you do and what you deliver because there is a lot of average out there and the world does not need more average. You can't get up in the morning to think, I'm going to be average at this. If you're just kind of half-assed, there's a great post on Instagram. It said, go full-assed on everything. Full-assed. Don't do anything half-assed. Everything has to be full-assed. How do you know if you're the best at what you do or if you're average and just think you're good? Well, I think you're... This is where it's organic, right? If you don't get good feedback, yep. you're average. Is feedback <laughs> important? Do you ask for feedback? Sales, feedback. Um, uh, what are they? I'm sorry. There's a, there's a, what do they call it on social media? Reviews. Nope. Comments. <laughs> uh, kind of. Um, you know, the overall engagement. Engagement. That's it. I'm sorry. It's I'm not, not my day good. job. I'm not good at charades. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm waving my arms around like a crazy person. Um, engagement, right? Yep. If you get a lot of engagement, then you're probably interesting. Right. Right. I also, I'm very against mental landfill. So it's like, you know, say something that actually will help elevate somebody else's life. This is, goes back to this little karmic circle. So if you actually spend time on, you know, whatever is it is that you're doing and you're really giving, right, people feel it. Oh, yeah. And and if you've crafted, right, owned the craft, like we produce now at Beauty Pie, a lot of products, right? Every product we make, we are on the details of that thing like a rash. So, you know, not in a bad way, but, you know, on it like a rash. A good rash. rash. A good rash. So it's what color is the inside of this box? Is the inside of this box going to be really beautiful? When you open it up, how are you going to feel? What about the details of the type? What is the feel of the paperboard? Is it recyclable plastic so people don't feel guilty because they know that it's recyclable? Have we considered every little detail about this? When you rinse it off, does it rinse well? Does it leave enough of foam on your skin so that you feel moisturized? How's the smell? How does the smell smell in three hours from now? How All of that Every single product, right? We could just say, hey, LabX, can you make us a body scrub? But we don't. Right. It's like, okay, is this smell good enough? Does this smell hook you? Does this smell make you feel rich? Is it, you know, would you buy this over and over and over again with your own money? And if any of these answers are no, it's not good enough. Because why should somebody buy something that isn't the best? Just give them the best. It does take effort. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It does take effort. And asking those questions, you really have to be present in the overall like, process. you know, process. Yes. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? Yeah. If you can't be present. Yeah. Why should anybody? Yeah. Right. Nothing fake lasts. Nothing fake lasts. No, it doesn't. You can't be a faker. You, it's like bricks, right? You've got to build now. Bricks are terrible for the environment. Apparently, I learned this. Bricks? Bricks. There's a woman I listened to speak at this forum who has something called Biomason, where she's growing bricks out of, 
I think fungus. Okay. But it's much more ecologically correct because apparently bricks are a disaster for the environment. But I'm talking about metaphorical bricks. You have to build whatever you're building on bricks. It has to mean something. Yeah. If it means something, people remember it, right? Mm. So everything you do has to be exceptional and has to stand out or else you're building your, you know, you got the, the, the three little pigs. So you want, you want a brick house. Right. So brand storytelling is as crucial as the products, would you say? Um, or? Well, in the end, someone can buy a product and be totally hooked on it because it's amazing whether or not they heard the story. True. Right? But if you tell a story and they get the product and it's terrible or average, they're not going to keep buying it. Okay. So you need both. You n- Well, yeah, I think you actually need good product before you need more than you need good storytelling. But if you have them both, great. Amazing. Well, you know what they say about brands. I learned this one from Paula um, Sutter, who used to run Diane von Furstenberg. And she was the one who kind of resuscitated it. It was just a couple of wrap dresses and then suddenly, boom. Um, And she said, every great brand. But then you could think about this as like every great life, every great experience. You could micro it. You could macro it. Is is the perfect balance of logic and magic. Oh, my gosh. Right? And it's so true. Where do you keep all this information? I don't know. In your brain? Somewhere in there. It, it, you know, comes out. Like, you know. Do you read a lot of books? Lots of books. <laughs> so many books. Books are everything. You know, Warren Buffett reads for six hours every day. Oh, my God. So be like Warren Buffett. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Okay. So, I mean, I feel like a lot of people have heard your story of soap and glory, et cetera, et cetera. So I really want to focus on beauty pie. Oh, thank you. I think beauty pie is very cool. It's really cool. It's a crazy concept. It's, um, yeah, yes, it is. I was actually terrified of it. Yeah. I was terrified when I came up with it. But they say all the really great ideas are terrifying. Okay. Yeah. So that was actually the first time I met you. I think it was in Soho House. Yes. And it was just when you launched Beauty Pie. And I remember thinking, I'm just confused by this brand. Yeah. yeah. So for those people listening, can you explain Beauty Pie and why you started it? Okay. Beauty Pie is sort of. You know how they say that there are a lot of brands now disrupting things? Yes. Okay, so we... Industry disruptors. Industry disruptors. So Beauty Pie is a luxury beauty brand. Mm-hmm. And we're not really disrupting the beauty industry. We're kind of blowing it wide open. Whoa, girl. Yeah. And it's kind of the only thing to do. Because yeah. when we talk about like doing it all the way, full-assed, <laughs> Beauty Pie is full-assed disrupting the beauty industry. Because not only are we completely removing all the layers that you typically pay for when you buy a product, but we are showing you how much things really truly cost to make Mm -hmm. and showing you how much you might normally pay for that product. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of removing all of the myth from the beauty industry layers for people who want to just see the truth and want to get incredible product, but without, we, we say like, you know, all the luxury beauty without the luxury bullshit. Um, because you ha- you can buy and everyone, all brands pretty much buy from the same third party luxury manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So there are these fantastic labs all over the world, some in Japan, I'll go, you know, Japan, Korea, if you go kind of east to west. Um, And there are many places like in Italy, you'll have clusters of amazing luxury cosmetic and skincare labs. 
France, Switzerland, mm-hmm. obviously the UK, the US, all have amazing labs also. And I've worked with them for now, like the last 28 years. So I know the really good ones. And they're all, they're, they've always kind of been the really good ones. And now you also have a few really small good ones who've broken off from the big, really good ones who are a little bit faster in terms of being able to produce new things and just don't have those lead times. And we all, all of we luxury brands, we all use these same suppliers. Mm-hmm. And very often you, you actually use the same product. Um, and have you ever seen that Dove? There's a Dove ad, and I'm kind of going off, but I do that. I'll, I'll try and rein it back. There's a Dove ad where you see a woman, and they're photoshooting her, and then they're retouching her. And yes. You, remember yeah. that? Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's like, here's this amazing quality, beautiful eyeshadow stick. Mm-hmm. But we all buy that eyeshadow stick, and then we all put our package on Own it. Oh, branding on it. And then we stamp it. Mm-hmm. But it's the same product. Right. Now, sometimes you go in and you will manufacture to spec. So very often with most of our skincare products, I'm probably one of the most experienced formulators in the world because I've been doing it for 28 years. So I will actually go to labs and ask them to put certain combinations of ingredients together or add more of certain active ingredients to make sure that they're reaching the clinically tested level so that they have the right effect. Because very often when you buy products, they just have a claim amount of a, an ingredient in it. So what we do is it's, um, it's a membership club. Mm-hmm. So you buy a membership, and depending on the membership that you have, you can buy a certain amount of stuff each month or every two months or whatever. You, ca- you have an allocation that we drop into your account each month, um, but you don't have to buy every month. You can buy however often you want. And so for every um, membership contribution you make, you basically can shop through the back doors of these factories, but virtually. So we bring all this incredible stuff in. It's all luxury quality. And then we show you how much it actually costs to make. And based on your membership, you can buy it at that factory kind of cost. We, right. we can't say factory price because it's a legal term, okay. but it's sort of like coming out of the back door without the markup. Right. Now, knowing that normally, if you have a $10 cream, right? A $10, something costs $10 to make, and this includes the package, mm-hmm. right? So a beautiful glass jar and a beautiful carton on recycled paperboard, of course, without too much foil so that you can also recycle it again, which is very important. And we think about all these details. Um, with a lot of anti-aging ingredients in it at the right level, 50 mil fill, 10, 12 pounds, 10, 12 dollars without VAT. It all kind of balances out. It's about the same. That would normally sell in a retailer for $100. Right. I mean, you've got to factor in the retail costs and all these, you know, brand costs. 60% goes to the retailer. Right. Right. Then you, you know, have X for the celebrity whose face is on it, and X Mm -hmm. for the overhead, and X for the salespeople who are you know, the commission. Mm-hmm. So you're paying 90 extra dollars. On one. For what? For, I don't know. Doesn't really, really make your face look any better. Okay. So for those who really feel like they need that to, uh, you know, acknowledge themselves, then maybe that retail experience is great. But I think there's a lot of people now, and I really felt this like five years ago. It's like, you know what's important to a, a woman or a man that now is their, their own Instagram and Facebook pages. It's their brand that matters to them, not somebody else's. So why should they pay 10 times markup 
just to get this product when actually their own brand is more important. Mm. And I think all of our individual brands are more important to us than any brand that we buy from. Mm. So why why should we be paying so much? And also the customer is so much savvier. You yeah. know, we we know about ingredients now, you know, more than ever before at least. Yeah, and so people want active levels of products and not for things to be watered down. Also, you know what really bothered me after a while? The beauty industry. So, I, listen, I've made my living in the beauty industry giving facials and, and I had um, Soap and Glory, right? And I had Bliss. And so I've done this. But when you go with your brand to a retailer, it's always about, okay, I have to retail that for X, right? And this is the way you start to think about it, which is not at all focused on the customer. Mm. So I'm so focused on her or him and giving her or him something amazing. But when you're in the retail kind of ecosystem, you never think that way. So you will think, okay, retail partner X, right, wants me to make a cream that's $50, right? So let me see how much I have to make that cream for so that I can still make some money. Right. So you work backwards. You do. Of. The beauty, the, like the all beauty industry, but especially the luxury beauty industry, it works backwards. If you have to re- retail it for $50, First, you take out $30, which goes to the retailer right off the top. And then you think, okay, I have to pay my CEO, my salespeople, all of their travel to and from all these stores where they have to train people, the 400,000 free samples that we have to produce every year, my lighting, electricity, blah, blah, blah. What do I have left? Okay, I have to make that cream for $4 or else I won't make any money. And then you have to think, okay, that means maybe I'm making $2 per cream. How many of those do I have to sell? Mm-hmm. And then you think, oh, I can't. I mean, my overhead's already X, so I think I can only make this for a 6% cost of goods instead of 10 Right. So instead of thinking, hey, what would be amazing for the customer? She wants a product that does this. Let me go build that product and not worry about how much it costs. You never think that way. Right. You always work backwards. Mm. It's like, that is not right. So knowing what I know from so many years in business, the truth is, that what's better for the customer, it always wins. So beauty pie is just better for the customer because we think about the customer when we create the product. And that's all we think about. Of course, we finish manufacturing, you know, we, not manufacturing, but we finish formulating it, and we put it together, and we test it. And we make sure that it is mm-hmm. top. And then, of course, we negotiate with the lab as hard as we can. Yep. We still want to get a great price for her, but she's not paying that markup. Right. And so, but obviously, you, the beauty pie needs to make money as well. Yeah, on memberships. Memberships. Yes. So we make money on the memberships, and that's also why you have a limit each month, mm-hmm. because we've figured out that the te- so, in the old beauty world, you have to make so out of selling you know a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff, you would ideally make ten thousand dollars in profit. So what I tried to do is think, okay, how do I make that ten percent? So you get you pay ten dollars to buy. $100 worth of stuff you can choose, right? So every $100 that you want to access, you pay 10 So I still end up with the 10 and that's how we run our business. Got it. And you end up saving 80 I see. Yeah. I see. But everybody wins because we can run the business and the customer gets pretty much five times as much product for his or her money. Right. So it's so beautiful because you never compromise. So why were you so nervous to start this? Because I thought, first I thought, everyone is going to hate me. Did they? Well, then I thought, (laughs) but wait, everyone, who's everyone? Everyone is the beauty industry because they've been doing it the old way for so long. 
But then I thought, well, a thousand times more people will love me, mm-hmm. right? It's This is for the women and the men who spend a lot of money on luxury cosmetics and love treating themselves mm-hmm. but don't want to pay for that exorbitant markup. And they just want to see, you know, the real thing. Absolutely. And it really seems like you built this for the customer experience rather than building a brand that's going to be maybe, you know, for for other beauty beauty brands, if you see what I'm saying. Like for other retailers. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. You know, and the truth is now in the whole retail industry, most of the big beauty retailers have their own brands anyway. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that they really push. Right. So, you know, you don't really have a chance if you go in with a new brand because – you're only giving them a 60% margin, mm-hmm. whereas if they make their own brands, they're going to make a 90% margin. So it's also changed a lot mm-hmm. that way. And and a lot of the big retailers who used to be really great partners have their own incubators where right. they do their own brands. I see. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned earlier that there are so many myths within the beauty industry. Was there any backlash from beauty brands being like, how dare you talk about all of this stuff and... I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's common knowledge to people, but I guess people who work in beauty all know these things. Sure. We actually have a lot of people who work for other brands who are members. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know who was a, an early member? Bobby Brown herself. Because oh, cool. she's not associated with her brand anymore. Of course. But she signed up. Bobby's cool. <laughs> she's really cool. She, I know. So I see a lot of people who are, you know, global head of marketing for such and such. Yeah. And they've signed up because even... At their own brand, they get a 30%, you know, employee discount. But right. with Beauty Pie, they get an 80% <laughs> Beauty Pie discount every day of the year. So why would you, when you know it's made at the same place, and actually ours is probably better because we've not worked backwards to value engineer things into a price point. Why would you? I'll tell you one thing I love from Beauty Pie. It's the lip glosses. Oh, yeah. they're. I mean, look. They're, they're so great. creamy and nice yeah. and, and really good. Yeah. We have, I mean, skincare is incredible. Lip glosses are incredible. We have some really beautiful eyeshadow palettes. Our foundation is incredible. Sunscreen is incredible. We're about to launch hair. Oh, nice. Body. Wow. Body and hair coming out. You're in going the next for couple it. Of, well, you know, we want her to be able to come in and then just kind of do the thing. Yeah. And always have new stuff. So we work with the best, you know, the best perfumers, the best labs, the best skincare labs, the best everybody, because we can. So we approached, in fact, like Frank Vogel, who was the um, perfumer for Le Labo. He did Santel 33, mm-hmm. and he did Glossier U, yep. and, and he did a collection of perfumes for us. Oh, right. Yeah, because, you know, these artists, they want to reach everybody as well. And it shouldn't matter that only certain people can afford to buy, you know, a certain fragrance. So it's really, it's also great in terms of the pie, in terms of collaborating with people who can make collections for us because it's exciting for our customers. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also, you know, lets those people reach and, and do their thing yeah. and reach a broader audience than only those people who used to be able to afford luxury product. It is a beautiful concept. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Would you say this is the most exciting brand you've worked on? Could you say that? It is because it's so pure, right? It's, right. It's not about, you know, thinking about anything except what's right, right? What's right for the customer and how do you do it better and how do you give her more for her money always. Right. Right. And then, of course, it has to be within reason because we have bills to pay. So we have to put those limits on each monthly you know, mm-hmm. uh, w- how much you get for your membership fee 
but th- you get so much. Most people, if they ever want to pause their membership, it's because they have so much product. Right. They don't need anything for a month. Mm. But now that we've got hair and body, you know. It's interesting, though, because I feel like this couldn't have been your first brand that you ever made. No. You know, it, it took all of those years of experience to kind of build this. But I mean, you're already so successful. Why, why were you like, let me do it all over again? Because it's social, right? It's, you know, I, I heard from somebody at a dinner a couple of weeks ago that 60% of the decisions we make in life are because of loneliness. Oh, my God, that's depressing. It is, but then you can think about it and think, well, that's, it just shows you how important it is to be part of a social group, mm-hmm. right? And for me, working is just being part of a really smart social group and people who are driven to get something done, and we work together to solve problems. And what better problem? I mean, it's not really a problem, beauty products, right? But you just think, I love it. I love everything about the beauty industry. And to be able to do it my way (laughs) and not worry about somebody else's rules, which is always so frustrating Mm -hmm. because having someone else decide whether or not you get great space and location or if they put you in their email or what, that was always really frustrating to me. Somebody said to me also, I think it was last week, like uh, the... The moment that I felt happy was when I realized that I am responsible for everything, right? And when you stop saying, you know, other people are responsible for my success and you take it and you really take responsibility for your own success or your own whatever it is that you're doing, then that is the moment that you really reach happiness. And for me, that is I'm going to do this idea where every part of it is totally pure, Right? And our motives are completely pure and we can be completely transparent with our customers and they win. And hopefully if we get enough members, we win and it works for everybody. And that is also just a fun thing to do every day because you're not compromising yourself. We don't have to lie mm. ever. Right. And we don't have to pretend that a product's worth more than it is by making people feel you know, like they have to have it or that fear of missing out. We, we, there's none of those psychological tricks that take place that yeah. just aren't really that healthy for women. It's, it's all about just, hey, look what we can all get if we band together. We can all go buy from the best labs in the world as if we are one big cosmetics company ourselves. Mm. So I guess it's just nice after so many years of building experience to be able to apply them in this pure way it's like getting to the top of uh, Everest right wow yeah that's exciting it's really exciting (laughs) I love it every day I mean there's so many problems every day because when you're dealing with 400 products like you'll have and just because people are incredible at formulating and and manufacturing doesn't mean that the the warehouse doesn't lose the caps that you had delivered last month and now you can't fill the cream and now it's out of stock and everybody's complaining and you know, we've got hundreds of products. So this stuff is always going on. So that's a little bit, it's always a challenge and you have to stay positive about it and just kind of keep going. Um, but the underlying system and the belief is so right. Right. It's just so, incredible. So you, you're talking a lot about how all these problems and things that are going on. And to me, I experienced this in my life as well. How do you not feel like everything's just getting on top of you. Sometimes I look at my inbox and I'm like, I just want to throw my phone down the toilet. How do you stay focused and just and positive and and be proactive about it? I always find that if you deal with a problem in a positive way, 
you get positive back. Mm -hmm. So it can be overwhelming at times, right? And sometimes you can just say, look, I'm going to put my phone down. And actually, the reality of that stuff getting on top of you is a thought. Okay. It's your thought at that moment that this stuff actually matters and it's getting on top of me. Mm -hmm. And if you just think, you know what? I am going to have a two-hour break and I'm going to just put my phone down and this stuff, these thoughts about this being too much, I'm just not going to acknowledge them. They're no longer thoughts, right? Your whole life is what, it's the story you tell yourself it is. You sound like my mom last night. She, <laughs> I was call, I called my mom and she, we were talking about the internet and all of this stuff because having a, your life yeah. on the internet is at times stressful. Yes. <laughs> and she was saying to me something really similar that was, it's not real unless you make it real or yeah. something like that. Yeah, she's right. Um, and it, and it, it's exactly what you're saying. It's you are creating this narrative in your own brain. And if you don't put anything on it, then it's not going to get to you. Do you travel? So much. Okay. Have you ever gone somewhere <laughs> like, I mean, Thailand? Yeah. I've actually never been to Thailand, but I've been or, to India. We can say India. Okay. So there you are in India. Yeah. Who are you? God knows. You're like nobody there. I know. Right. None of us are. And I remember going to, I think I was in Thailand. This is maybe a bad example because FitFlop, which is my footwear business, there were a lot of people wearing them, but they were wearing fakes. That's funny. <laughs> but <laughs> trying to explain to the fishermen, like at the fisherman village, that the shoes that they were selling in their store that were fakes of FitFlop, they didn't know what FitFlop was. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, well, your story is only a story to the people who are paying attention to it. And you can be one of those people. If you need to check out of that story, you can do that for a little while, and then you can come back in. But you do make your own story. So it's, you know, you tell your story the way you want it told. Mm. I know that's really nebulous, right? But it is true that you're really an entertainer, right? I guess. You are. If you think about what you do, you're an entertainer, and you're prolific and multi-talented. So you can create stories, right, with your posts and the stories that, you, um, that you're telling. And they're not necessarily stories. They can be narratives, and they can also be educational, which they are, depending on what you're doing. But then you're also a designer, and you're a broadcaster. So, but you're an entertainer. So you have to think, like an actor or an actress, right, when they go into a film, they're the character. Mm. But they also can have a life. So somebody asked me the other day, who are you without your job? Who, who is at the core of you? I didn't know how to answer it. What's your identity if you take your job out of it? Do you have to take your job out of it? I don't know if you have to separate yourself from your job. I mean, it's a big part of what you do all day, right? It's like saying, who would you be if you didn't sleep for eight hours? <laughs> that wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> or lucent. <laughs> but yeah, I just didn't really know how to answer it. And they were like, take the masks off. Take the, the job mask off. Take the mask off your, you know, your entertainer mask. But why are they assuming you have a mask? Don't we all? Um, I don't have much. I don't think I have much of one. I mean, maybe you think you do, but is it really a mask? I don't know because, I mean, whenever people are like, are you the same as, as you are in your YouTube videos? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, I yeah. mean, I, it, of course, I'm like speaking to an audience. That's just professional. So there's that, well, but it's me. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a mask. Maybe they just can't believe that you radiate such a dewy... <laughs> Glowing, perfect, you know, self. 
without oh, it being a mask. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, speaking of dewy and radiant, in the elevator up here, the real elevator, um, we were. I, I was saying I don't have any makeup on today. Actually, I've got brow gel on. Um, and I was like, you know, most days I don't really wear that much makeup. And, and I was saying, like, I'm a natural kind of girl. And you said. No, I'm not. <laughs> I love makeup. I love skincare. I mean, I, I wouldn't be in this if I didn't love trying stuff and piling it on. I just find it very ritualistic to kind of do your face in the morning. And I think that's also, it's an evolutionary thing, right? Like we used to just dress up. And so now because we don't do the beads and the, you know, everything, the headdresses and the uh, lot of, you know, jewelry, although some people do jewelry, some people do makeup. So it's just, Some people do it all. Yeah. And I kind of have to. Because, I mean, literally yesterday, I was in NPD for an hour, and they gave me about six new things to try. So I have to test every product. Mm. Otherwise, I won't know that it's great, right? right? And then I can only blame myself if we put something out there that I wouldn't have uh, necessarily approved. What do you think about living minimally? Because I was looking at my makeup collection the other day because I'm in the middle of a renovation. I've got boxes everywhere and I'm like so suffocated by the amount of stuff I have. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, as somebody who's obviously so into beauty and and makeup and everything, do you believe in just having one makeup bag? Do you have tons of makeup all around? I'm a bad, so I'm not someone you can compare anyone to because of course I get samples, like weekly big boxes of things to try. Kind of like a beauty editor, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm the beauty editor before those products are packaged, right? right? So my things come direct from labs before all the, you know, fancy stuff is put on them. And that's where I test them at that level. So my bathroom is full of stuff because it's my job. So if I didn't have that as my job, I certainly wouldn't have as many products. But I still like to layer things on. I like to have a few different options of cleansers. I mean, somebody asked me the other day on social, like, how many cleansers can you have? And I said, well, four is probably enough, but five might be overkill. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to have the deep cleansing balm, right? You've got to have the micellar water. Of course. You've got to have, like, some kind of milk. Yeah. And then something to travel with, which in my case is Japan Fusion, the gel. And it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I have those four right now sitting. And then, of course, I've got new ones that, that labs have sent in. And it's kind of great to – you have a benchmark of this is amazing. And then when people send in new submissions, because now the labs are all fighting for our business. Right. Which is great because they see, hey, this is great. We don't have to sell to brands. We can actually sell. And, you know, Beauty Pie is like our store window. So they send us stuff all the time. So you do it gets a little overwhelming. But only the things that are better than the stellar things that we already have ever even get a shot. But you do have to go through a lot of them. And that is time-consuming. That is a lot of time-consuming. And you've only got one face, one body, and one head of hair. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just want to play our next question because it kind of goes along what we're speaking about now. Hi, Estee. Hi, Marcia. My question is... What is your advice for keeping a brand identity consistent, but at the same time keeping it fresh and relevant? Thank you. So you've already got your your main products. You obviously want to keep providing customers with new options. How do you how do you do that? I think well, okay. Number one, part of the industry is such that it's sort of a self-perpetuating mechanism. So there are industry suppliers who are constantly looking and inventing new ingredients, and it comes from there, right? So you know how 
you know, the newest latte or the newest craze is going to be chia, whatever. And yeah. you see chia starts and then it's in it's in everything. You have the chia latte, you have the chia shirts, you have the chia this and that and chia phone covers. And it's the same thing in any industry. Chia phone covers. Whatever. You know, you start with an ingredient and then that ingredient kind of permeates the whole industry. And normally these labs that we use, they will find from all of the different ingredient suppliers, which are another layer down, they'll find the latest, newest, hottest. And so there's a whole realm of freshness that we get every season, just even in the submissions. Now, if we see a really great ingredient or we've read about it, or sometimes I go to the In Cosmetics show, which is where all the ingredient suppliers show their new stuff. If we see something and none of the labs are showing it to us, we will bring it to them and ask them, could you make you know, this kind of product, and then we'll spec it out. We'll say, oh, I can't tell you any of the new ones. But let's just say we've got something we're working on with CBD oil, right? But there's another ingredient. Is that really happening? It's happening. I mean, whether or not, they say that it has a really fantastic anti-inflammatory effect on the skin. And, and inflammation is apparently the key cause of aging. Inflammation mm-hmm. is. Yeah, because... You inflame and you, and so it causes sort of sagging, I suppose, mm. in your skin. So, and and then of course, I'm just talking about the skin. We're talking about the whole body, right? right? So any kind of things that are anti-inflammatory, whether they're nutritional supplements or mm-hmm. you know topically applied, should be good for you. So we're trying to figure out what can we connect with CBD oil in terms of other ingredients to reduce and calm the skin. So first, it can start with a little seed of an ingredient. She was talking about brand identity. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so brand identity. Someone genius told me this one, too, and everybody should follow him on Instagram. His name is Steve Hyatt, and he's a photographer. And he is also a graphic designer and really understands how to make things consistent. And he, as um, an artist, for his entire life, has always had a very consistent look. So this is a guy who's been consistent for probably 50 years. And he's one of those, like, the real geniuses. And he said to me, your typeface, right, is like the beat, right? And so as long as the beat remains the same, right, and so your typeface your kerning, your letter spacing, how you're representing um, that throughout all of your materials or your product, you can kind of mix anything with that. So that is your beat, and then the freshness is the melody, Mm. right? So you can, as long as the beat remains the same, you can bring things in on top of it. And that's what collaborations are for, right? But you got to make sure there's that consistency. And usually in a brand identity, that'll be your logo and your type. And I think that's why starting a brand is also so daunting because you just want to make sure that beat is right. Yes. You have to think a lot about, you know, timelessness. Mm -hmm. Will this look good on things? Will it look good reduced? Will it look good in 10 years? Will it? You really want something classic, right? Um, So that, you know, you're not sick of it right away because you do not want to get sick of looking at your own stuff. That's the worst. Absolutely. Yeah. However, you can always, again, if you have a beautiful classic typeface, you can add anything on top of it, right? You can mix and match it. Like, you know, you can put a Liberty print on it, or you could put stripes on it, or you could make it in gold, or you can make it in black, you can make it in red, or you could collaborate with somebody else and do a mashup. And usually if you've got a classic logo, it looks good with pretty much anything. And so, for instance, somebody shows you a bunch of logos. Are you fully listening to your intuition on this, or do you listen to the professionals, or is it really... 
something that comes from within you? I would look at them in a multitude of different ways, right? So I would look at it big. I would look at it small. You have to reduce a logo down really small because it will appear very small in things. And um, some of the first logos that I looked at, you know, for everything, you know, Beauty Pie, Soap and Glory, Bliss, when you made them small, they weren't good. They weren't readable or they looked too masculine because Mm -hmm. something that looks great that, that might be too chunky when you reduce it down looks just fat and juvenile or something that looks really thin might not have any stance so you do have to you know put it on a put it on a tote bag mm-hmm. you know visualize it on a tote bag put it on a t-shirt put it on a tiny product put it on a key ring see if it looks good in all these places and if it looks cool there's a great book actually called Velocity by one of the creative or ex-creative directors of Nike and a guy who has an ad, ad agency I can't remember what their names are but I remember one line from that book where they kept asking, what's cool about that? So if you do your logo and then you go, like, what is cool about this? And if there's nothing cool about it, <laughs> don't pick something else because you always want something that's cool, right? Not something fashion victim-y, but something that has confidence. Well, yeah. one thing I've learned from this podcast is to ask more questions. Oh, you know what? I was going to say that. So... Yesterday, I did a, a chat with a women's group, and one of the things that I wanted to say was, what's dumb? Like People are often, and especially women, right? We're often scared to admit that we don't know something, mm-hmm. so we don't ask. So you're in a conversation, and someone uses an acronym, and you don't know what it is. So my new thing is just like, sorry, yeah. sorry, what, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That, this is not lingo I use. I have a language I use in my work and in my life. Maybe I haven't learned that one yet. It doesn't mean I'm stupid. It just means I don't speak that particular language. It might be internal lingo of that particular office, but if you don't ask, you'll never know. Mm -hmm. So then you ask yourself the question, okay, I'm going to look stupid, right? Do you care about looking stupid or do you care about being stupid? I think being stupid is worse than looking stupid, right? And the only people who think you're looking stupid, if you ask a question, are judgmental and you don't care anyway. So is it you don't want to be stupid. Yeah. So ask the question because you'd rather know the answer than worry about somebody thinking you look stupid. And, and so like all of these pe- people are so insecure and they have a lot of fear, mm. right? And it's about who would I be without the thought that I'm going to look stupid if I ask this question. And so many times if you ask the question, if there's other people in the room, They're they wanted so to ask glad. the question too. They are. And you think, well, okay, I'm going to be a, a leader in this situation. And I'm going to ask the question for everybody because I know there are other people here. So let me do that favor for everyone. Mm. And actually, there's one of your kindnesses of the day, right? Yeah. You can be a bigger person, ask the question, and let everybody know the answer. Yeah, that's <laughs> so great. It comes in all ways, mm. right? It's just about being open and not being defensive. I used to think I was stupid. I used to tell people I was stupid. I used to be like, I'm really dumb. I don't really get, I don't know much about this, but it, it, it's exactly what you say. You just don't speak that language. Yeah. And actually when you realize your strengths and your weaknesses, you become a smarter person in general. You yes, because you know what you need to work on. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Marcia, it has been a joy speaking to you today. Leave us with one little last tip of wisdom. <sighs> okay. I've got one. Okay. okay, so, and this is from my friend Neve, who taught me this one. When you come across one of those situations, and actually you were talking about your phone feeling overwhelming sometimes, right? She would say, why is this situation happening for me rather than happening to me? Okay. So when you find yourself in a situation and you feel stressed or I don't know how to deal with it, what is it telling you about 
how you haven't prepared to be here comfortably. So maybe there's something you need to learn so that this doesn't happen again, whether it's how you approach it or how you built up to be uh, in the middle of it that you need to do differently next time. So why is it happening for me instead of to me? That's a really good one. All right, everybody, go and get it. (laughs) Thank you, Marcia. Thanks. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com.